This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by BitCasino. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are watching and listening Untold Stories, where twice a week, together, we get to weave a personal, nuanced understanding of how crypto came to be, where we are now, where we're going, by understanding the individual stories of people, the hardships that they, that they went through, how they came to be, the fun stories along the way. Peter Wall, you're the CEO, part of the founding team, but you're the CEO of Argo Blockchain, a, a publicly traded large-scale cryptocurrency mining company headquartered in England. Uh, you guys are the only crypto mining company that's listed on the London Stock Exchange. And congratulations, I just saw an article the other day that you guys announced that you passed your 1,000 Bitcoin mark of, of that you've mined 1,000 Bitcoins. You had mine like 160 something that that quarter. Congratulations. That's like a big freaking deal there. Like very less than a dozen companies that have been able to do that on an industrial scale. Congratulations. Thanks, dude. Thanks. It's a lot of bananas. You know, it's a lot of bananas <laughs> in the fridge. You don't keep bananas in the fridge, but um, if you did, it's a lot of strawberries in the basket. You know, I had this group of, of people uh, approach me at Bitcoin Miami a few weeks ago. And they're like, yeah, we want to industrialize Bitcoin mining. We want to industrialize mining, industrialize, industrialize. And I keep hearing that term over like they were looking at our industry as we were still kids. And I know we are. But the way I would have gone around about industrializing or like doing what they were trying to do, because here they were a publicly traded company, was it seemed to me like set up an office, you get some people together, even on a Zoom call and you start brainstorming, you know, you get the equipment together. And these guys were just like, Get it, you know, in my house on a Saturday, let's call the mining brokers, let's get some equipment down. And I'm like, that's not industrialization of mining. No. No, and it's already happening. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's And the best way for any, I always tell my kids, you know, I've got three three boys. I always tell them, you know, you want to you wanna learn how to uh, be a good basketball player? Go play basketball. You know, you want to learn to be a good miner? Go mine. And that's that's what's cool about the mining industry is that um, it's grown up very organically from people who are miners. Like if you look at our team, you know, Perry Hati, who's our CTO, that guy's been mining in his basement, you know, back to 2011, 2012. Um, and so there's this kind of natural organic growth from GPU mining to ASIC mining to large scale mining. And that's how you, that's, that's how you get good at things by doing them over and over. And the idea that you can just throw money at something and, you know, you, you know, be able to figure it out and, and, you know, you know, leapfrog above other people. I, I don't think it's true. I mean, look at what, what's happening right now with with Chinese miners, you know, looking for for power in North America, looking for power in other parts of the world. They've got lots of money. They're well capitalized. They've got machines, and they're having trouble. So it's about building relationships. It's about building expertise. It's about you know locating yourself in certain jurisdictions and 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 going from there. Um, but it's it's a fascinating space, and it's boy, it's moving quickly. Very few months ago, um, or six months ago, the world was singing a very different tune in terms of in terms of, yeah, Bitcoin mining is so energy dependent and it's really, really bad for the environment and it's really, really terrible. And I have to spend the past decade of my life explaining how wrong that is, but we won't go there at this moment. But what China did, and I'm not going to ask you why you think they did it, but but for those who don't know, uh, China essentially, or one province where a lot of, like a significant amount, like 20 or 30% of the hash rate was being mined, uh, kicked out all of the miners from, from effectively from that region. And now you have uh, this, it sounds like this like 
uh, um, crazy amount of machinery floating around the world looking for another home? Are they being stripped? How can you trust the machines? What is going on like from, from the outside in? Is it good or bad for our industry? What do you think? I think it's good for the industry. I think it's bad for the Chinese miners in, in the short term. I, I I feel for them. I mean, they've built these businesses. They've built infrastructure. These are, are real, you know, um, people, yeah. entrepreneurs. Yeah, companies of people that have, have been located in China for, for in many cases, you know, uh, up to a decade and uh, have 10, 15 exahashes of power, like just enormous amounts of power. And so for them to have to kind of try to find a solution to that really quickly um, and it's, it's difficult and it's challenging. So I think for them, short term, it's, it's not great, but obviously it's worse than not great. And then, but in terms of the long term for the industry, it's going to encourage more decentralization. It's going to encourage mining in places where people want miners. I mean, you see Texas now is just attracting a huge amount of miners. It's a pro-business state. It's they've, you know, the governor has said he wants to attract blockchain projects to the state. There's all kinds of renewables that are there, um, and you're seeing that uh, in other jurisdictions. You know, we're in Quebec; they, they've been uh, open to miners until they weren't, but now they're they're open to miners again under the right conditions. Um, so there's different places in the world which are going to become you know these meccas for mining, um, and uh, and there's certain places that are, are not going to be. And it looks like China is will no longer be. It seemed like and, China and not- did us a favor. Well, why? And I know I wasn't going to ask you why, but it, I rack yeah. my brain. It doesn't make it's, any sense. They helped Bitcoin so much. This is something that we've wanted well, de- further yeah. decentralization. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I look, I'm not an expert on China. I, I have spoken to you know many Chinese about this. I, I've, there's lots of conversations going on in the community. I, I, I can say a couple things on it. So one, it's clear the Chinese are interested in promoting and building and uh, having the, their you know uh, Chinese nationals adopt their own digital currency, the, the digital yuan, and you know anything that competes with that is going to get in the way, and Bitcoin competes with that. So they're trying to, I think, you know, one theory is they're trying to clear the the deck to make uh, space for the digital yuan. They've already done, you know, lots of innovation on it and lots of uh, development on it, and and it's 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 coming uh, if it's not already here. So that's one piece. And then on the second piece is climate, you know, climate change is real around the world. And China has, you know, their own climate commitments and their own large middle class uh, of, you know, folks who are who out there breathing the air and, and you know, engaging in um, their daily lives and want to be in a, in a non-polluted China. And anything that that Chinese middle class is, is going to push back against, you know, in a one party state, you don't want to upset. The one part, the the, the middle yeah. class, because that's you know that's that's when revolution. There, there is no government to vote out. Sure. There's like so, so I think it, it, this is as much about showing that they're doing something towards their climate commitments. You know, ESG mining or, or or coal mining was getting a bad rap, not just around the world, but also in in China. Um. So, and and look, that those are two theories. That's speculation on my part. I'm not an expert uh, in China by any means, but it, it it's super interesting development. How much hash rate dropped at one? It was like 20%. It's crazy. Charlie, it's crazy. It's gone from, you know, 180 terahashes a second where it was, if you look at the charts, where it was, yeah. you know, six, uh, six eight weeks ago to it, it touched 90 terahashes um, this week. So it's it's dropped by about 50%. Um, and, and, you know, for a miner like us, what it means is in the short term, 
um, meaning, you know, this month, um, we'll probably mine, given that difficulty takes a little bit while to, sure. a little while to adjust because it, you know, adjusts every two weeks. This is we'll, a great lesson on Bitcoin. Can you explain to my listeners, for those who don't understand, like what happens when sure. the hash rate and how does it affect the security of Bitcoin? doesn't necessarily affect, this is the great thing about the Bitcoin network. It, it, the hash rate is, you know, um, things kind of even out, right? Bitcoin is even Steven. So yeah, hash rate goes down, but then difficulty goes down. So it, the beauty of the Bitcoin verification system is that it's still secure whether there's 180 terahashes or whether there's 90 terahashes. Um, obviously, the more, you know, hash rate there is on the network, you know, competing for verifications, the better. But uh, it's still extremely secure. There's no issue about, you know, Bitcoin kind of just blinks. And in the end, who who gets the most advantage in a, sh in a short-term situation like this is miners like ourselves. We'll mine with the same amount of hash power. We'll more mine Bitcoin. Six, yeah, we'll mine 6% more Bitcoin, you know, this month than we did last month. Next month, given where difficulty is and where it's going, we'll probably mine 25% more. That's a projection, but we'll mine probably 25% more than we mined um, you know, in, 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 in this month. So you're looking at significant, um, you know, advantages for existing miners. Uh, but in the long term, the hash rate will even out. Yeah. And, and, and people, you're right that a lot of people don't get the importance of difficulty when you're looking at minor profitability. It's the kind of one forgotten factor from, you know, the general, Bitcoin. Yeah, you it's, know. it's the, the easy one to forget when you're writing about what's wrong yeah. with Bitcoin. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, you know, Bitcoin price is going up. Miners are killing it. Well, if hash rate goes up at the same rate mm -hmm. that Bitcoin price goes up, your margins stay the same. That's um, what I explained to to these guys when I was I was mapping out their my I was like, well, so you have to like, where did this number come from? And I said, well, you have to assume the hash rate is going to double by the time you yeah. get your machines online. That's like a, that's like a very conservative, correct? You know, you're gonna whatever you think you're gonna make, you're gonna make thirty percent. Well, we were ex we were expecting it to get you know to two hundred um, at some point this year, right? And it was up at one eighty. There was more machines coming online, and now it's at ninety. And that's the that's the crazy thing about the China situation is that it's just it's thrown this huge kind of. It's but not we were, a wrench, so here, it, yeah. Here's a really good kind of question, and and one that no one's you know, really talking about is for the last decade or so, at least since I've been charting Bitcoin 10 years, the one kind of like chart that I would always fall back to to make me feel better in ultimate bear markets is that the hash rate always kind of correlates with and the mm -hmm. difficulty with the price mm -hmm. of Bitcoin or like the seven day or the, the 200 day moving average or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, And that, and so now we're like at a 50%, you know, give or take 40 something percent drop there we were from price a month or two ago, three months ago, I forget the exact date, but at the same time, you know, the fundamentals haven't changed, but the one that has is that hash rate did, you know, have yeah. temporarily. So to me, that's like the great best time to buy Bitcoin because nothing else has changed except for FUD and the hash rate. Now you can say, you know what, the hash rate's never going to come back, but why wouldn't if the machines are built, why would oh, people... the hash rate will come back? Exactly. The Chinese, they'll, they'll find places for the machines. It might take six months. It might take 12 months. But the hash rate will come back. Oh my God! I mean, there's, there's private no jets over in China right now bidding for all those machines. Fred Wilson's yeah. talking about whenever you don't, whenever China uh, bans something, you invest in that. He's got the first plane ticket, of course. Right. Yeah, uh, it, it, it'll come back. I, I think you're and you're right. I mean, hash rate and price are correlated. The key word there is they're correlated. They're not exactly. They don't move in lockstep. So 
they, you know, when it, there's, there are these one-off situations like we just had where hash rate comes down and price did have, you know, it, it responded. It, it, if you look at what happened earlier this week, we dropped below 30 for the first time in a little while. Yeah. And, um, and then it's come back a little bit, but there's definitely a correlation. Um, but, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they move in lockstep. And I think that, um, yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating development that's happened that no one saw coming, and we'll see how price responds over the over the coming you know weeks and months. I was I was on your website here looking to see do, is it public uh, what hash rate uh, you guys are working with and how many yeah. machines you all have? Yeah, so we've got twenty one thousand machines. Uh, oh we've got God. yeah, we've got a, a what an, an exahash, so just over an exahash. Of Congratulations. Capacity. Yeah, thanks. And we're adding, you know, more machines. Uh, we'll be up to 1.6, 1.7 in the third quarter uh, of, of this year. Um, so, yeah, we're we're a mid-sized miner. Look, there's lots of folks out there that are bigger than us. We it's have a kind of size. what we call a smart growth mentality. So we don't think bigger is always better. You can have 100,000 machines and still be not profitable if they're not the right machines and not the right power cost and you pay too much for them. So we really look for opportunities to expand in a, in a smart way. And that's what we've done over the last you know, three and a half years of our existence. Uh, all the machines that we've ever bought have ROI, um, which is which is great for miners. Obviously, that's the name of the game is to, you know, ROI and many some of them many times over. So you ROI your machines and then you either hold on to that Bitcoin or you reinvest it back into... into uh, more machines. Into more machines. Wow, with a pretty crazy chaotic year behind us, the guys at Big Casino, my friends, are offering us 200 free spins for the Legacy of the Dead game. These guys are awesome. Over the past year, we've done promotions together from Valentine's Day all the way to St. Patrick's Day and from celebrating all the different holidays in between. We've been doing crazy promotions, giving away Teslas, like three of them. And all you have to do is go to untoldstories.link forward slash bitcasino, hit the rewards section and claim your 200 free spins on the Legacy of the Dead game. These guys have been helping out Untold Stories for over a year now. Fun, fast and fair gameplay. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tron, and Litecoin. I mean, you got everything. Go have some fun. Untoldstories.link forward slash bitcasino. Mining is very extremely capital intensive because there are so many what ifs and variables that you don't know. Um, I was talking to folks who drill for oil and there are like these, and also farmers too, there are like huge financial products that are available to those folks to like help them like even Steven almost balance out their cash flow and everything. Do you guys have the same access to the same type of financial products? Like, how do you raise money? Yeah, so it's getting there. It's getting there, right? Um, it, it's a really good question, actually, because it's such a new industry. And there are groups that are popping up uh, or that have popped up that are you're offering financing so to, to miners and, and to people in the crypto space. Um, you know, when you think about our kind of um, our cash flow and, our, and our, our balance sheet, we essentially can raise money in three different ways. Um, to, to pay operating costs or to buy new machines. One is we can sell Bitcoin, which, you know, we, we obviously not our preference. We did it a lot in 2020 when, when our balance sheet called for it. Uh, we haven't sold one Bitcoin in 2021 so far. We've held on to every Bitcoin that we've mined. So people ask, okay, so how are you paying for your operating costs? You have real power costs, you have staff, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You're buying more machines. So obviously two other options are raising equity. So, you know, um, through institutional raises, we've done which we've done two of this year. You know, small raises in the grand scheme of things around 30, 35 million, um, and that's 
when appropriate, you know, if the market can support it, it's a, it's a good way to, to fund the company, company's growth. The third way is debt. And, you know, debt secured against Bitcoin is an option. Debt secured against machines, that's another option. And then debt secured against facilities, you know, through mortgages and those type of things. So on those first two ones, on the debt, you know, secured against Bitcoin and debt secured against uh, machines, there are groups like BlockFi, like Celsius, like Galaxy, like DCG, um, you know, uh, Nidig just bought one, uh, I think Arctos. Um, yeah. I think that's, yeah. So, and they're basically doing minor financing or, you know, cryptocurrency like blockchain financing. So you go to them and you say, hey, I want to buy X amount of machines. You know, what kind of, you know, interest rate can you give me? It's not the same kind of interest rates you get at a bank because um, we're, we're such a new, you know, industry. We're not there yet, but it's it's reasonable. It's a good way for to, to support your growth. We did a deal like that with Celsius at the end of last year um, for for a chunk of machines, and um, and that's worked well. What's the benefit to being a, a publicly traded mining company as opposed to to like a private one? Yeah, it's really um, access to capital. You know, you're just you're able Very to smart. raise yeah yeah you're, you're able to raise equity um, in a in a you know efficient way. Um, and then to put that e equity back into the growth of the company. And I also just like being a public company yeah. because it it aligns with, in many ways, the spirit of crypto, which is to be transparent, to be open, to communicate. And we, we, we've really embraced that at Argo. Um, I do a lot of like Twitter Q&As with videos and, and you know, I do podcasts like this. And uh, we had our AGM yesterday. We had like a What question do you get you know. asked a lot? Um. On Twitter, I get asked, honestly, the number one question I get asked is about NASDAQ. Like, hey, are you guys going, why aren't you guys on NASDAQ? That's the question I get answered all the time. Um, and uh, what else do I get asked? It's hard to uplist on NASDAQ. I'm, a, I'm an investor in another publicly traded company that's trying to uplist on NASDAQ potentially. I don't know. They haven't told me, but um, it's a hard thing to do because they're traded in like three other markets. Uh, I feel like when we can when our companies can like pierce that, you know, see like eventually um, it's going to be insane. The, the amount of capital that starts cycling through our industry now, because the money, money is just, you know, secular. It just goes, it goes through and the dollars are just a, a large sink of where to keep temporary value or whatever. Yeah. It's, it does seem, it certainly seems that way with, with the USD right now. Um, yeah. Look, you know, the American, uh, capital markets are the most efficient place to raise money in the world and the most, you know, there's have deeper pockets than anywhere else. And you, you've seen, I mean, Michael, Michael Saylor's done some fascinating things with MicroStrategy recently as a, as a large pubco, you know, you know, whether it's bonds or, and he's, he's fired yeah. up an ATM now, like there's, he's taking basically that, that capital and putting it into Bitcoin um, in, in a very direct way. Obviously our, you know, we're doing that in our pub, you know, public market world in a, in a slightly, you know, less direct way because we're, um, we're, uh, we're buying machines and then mining. Um, and there's a case to be made for both. We obviously think that mining is a, is a, is a great way to, to grow a company and, and to accumulate Bitcoin. Wait, so, so you would recommend if someone were to come and say, Hey, I ha I want to be able to, to power up 10 machines potentially would recommend like, what, what are the economics behind that? You mean if someone's just going to power up 10 machines in their basement? Or well, no, like they... you're a, a large company, you know, like 10 machines is significant. I figure 10,000 per machine, or I know some of them are the SG-19s are going for 9,000 right now or potentially. Yeah. So, um, 
I was, by the way, I used to, I mined, uh, I owned the second ever ASIC that ever hit the Bitcoin network. Nice. I mined on it nice. for like the first month. When Yifu Guo, who uh, invented the ASIC with Avalon, uh, and before he sold it, um, the first one he sent to Mike Hearn, and the second one was for him, but he, we live, we we're like neighbors in Brooklyn, he didn't have a car. So he called me up, and that was literally what I was good for. It was my car, my trunk of my car. <laughs> this huge machine that went in the back and had no sides or walls. And there's a famous wow. picture of us, me, Yufu, and Eric, with mining on the Bitcoin price was like a few dollars. Nice. And uh, But I remember turning, it was just so loud. It, 30 person office, that one machine was louder than all 30 people working. So just to give you an understanding, oh my God, yeah. What well, is I that? Keep on, this is a, an old S9 which is no longer it's the classic machine. Yeah. Yeah. The classic, this is like, it's like the Nike, like the Stan yeah. Smith, you know, sneaker. This is the, the, the Honda civic of Bitcoin. Mining. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, the ASIC world is, has really obviously transformed mining from the old GPU days. And, and, um, and what's it's, next? It's, Will there be so another next level? Next is immersion. I mean, a hundred percent. That's what is that? Going. So immersion is you take this machine and you take off the fans and you dunk it in liquid, and instead of cooling it with air blowing through it, you cool it by cycling in and liquid in and out of essentially a tank or a bath, um, like a like a container. And, well, wait, um, what kind of liquid? You can't put water. It has to be like a liquid that water. conducts. Yeah, What's the liquid? it's like a non-conductive liquid. It's specially designed immersion liquid. Um, and that's the future. That's the future of not just crypto mining. That's the future of data centers. It's just way more efficient. You can do things with the liquid. You can heat other buildings or, um, you know, potentially. Yeah, yeah create more electricity again. It's a way to to, to, to yeah. harness the the excess yeah. heat. Yeah, you harness it. It's very brilliant. It's very, listen, the, the when I went to Croatia, the, there were guys that, that, that were aging wine underwater in these like bamboo caskets right. for like hundreds of years. And they never understood the science behind it, but they just knew it made sense. It's the same type of situation. It makes sense. Yeah, of course, yeah. you put wine underwater. No vibration. The temperature is, it doesn't change. You know, it, all these different variables. It's, it's so brilliant. A good wine, too. Well, one of the cool things about immersion mining is that, you know, one of the defining features of crypto mining, Bitcoin mining, is the noise, right? You go into a, a mining center or you go into a data center and it's just, deafening it's really loud because of all the fans that are that are you know blowing the 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 air around through the machines but immersion mining is silent there's no noise you know you, you just walk in and it's just the pumps you know cycling in and out the liquid um through through the tanks so um it's it's the future we're joining in texas in a big way we're building a 200 megawatt wow. uh, facility down there it'll be all immersion and uh we've got you know our cto's come up with some great designs and it'll be large-scale immersion and, and we're excited about it you wouldn't think that the hottest place in America would be like the epicenter of of mining, global mining. It's like you would think it would be in Norway or something. Like, what is going well, certainly on? Certainly, that was the case. Certainly, that was the case in 2017, 2018, 2019. People wanted to be, you know, we're in Quebec, people are in Scandinavia, Iceland, uh, because air cooling, when you're cooling with air, you're not using air conditioning, you're using ambient, you know, yeah. air from the outside. You're sucking it into the building, pushing it through the machines. And then getting it out, but with immersion, uh, and really, if you're going to build in, you, I mean, you know, it's hot in Texas in the summer. If you're going to survive in the summers in Texas, you can do air cooling, and, and you know, there's there are people who are doing air cooling in Texas, but the most effective ways is definitely immersion, and that's why you even see, you know, talking about mining in El Salvador, talking about mining in warmer climates, it's now becoming possible 
because of this these developments um, in immersion. But the big the big attraction, Charlie, to Texas is is the renewable power and the fact that the grid is this kind of standalone independent grid that's not connected to the national grid. So there's nowhere for the power to go. It needs to be used in Texas. Um, and there, there's lots of um, power being Texas- generated in remote regions. And it needs to be used, a, a lot of that, in order to, to make the system more stable, there needs to be large load capacity taken um, as close as you can to generation. So that's that's what we're doing. We're you know building right next to a five gigawatt. counterbalance. Yeah, exactly. And and then you know you build oh, in Texas for peak load, right? You don't build for, you know, your every day in February. You build for July fifteenth when it's a hundred degrees. Um, and so the rest of the time, all of that power that's not being generated, you can still generate it, and you can use it for, you know, Bitcoin mining, cryptocurrency mining, and it acts as this kind of accordion where most of the time it's being used for crypto, and then on days of you know extreme high demand, you shut down the crypto. You get extra low power costs the rest of the year, and then you give that power back to the grid on on the super hot days. I'm I'm, I'm looking at, at like a map of the U.S. like like power grid. Why is Texas completely? It's it's the it's an anomaly. It doesn't so like the mm-hmm. western half of the U.S. is is its own grid. The eastern half is its own grid. It looks like the south and maybe Florida has its own thing going on. I think Florida. I can't tell, but but why? It has to do. It has to do with the, the, the you know the historical um, infrastructure build and the way in which the, the the local the state government decided that they wanted it to be their own deregulated competitive market. Um, and so you know the ERCOT grid built you know was uh, was built to be a standalone Texas grid and. Um, and there's advantages and disadvantages to that. Obviously, during the last big power outage, you know, during the ice storm or, or the winter storm that took place um, three, four, five months back, that was a disadvantage for Texas yeah. because they couldn't bring in power from elsewhere. Um, but for uh, cryptocurrency miners during that time, yes, many of them had to shut down for a week or, or you know, three days, five days. Um, but they were able to actually give their power back to the grid, which is great because communities get to use that power. And, you know, it's we're not going to use it for crypto when there's times of need. So these but grids also are it, not connected to each other. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're standalone. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a really fascinating world. You could do a whole podcast just on the Texas power system and all of the power purchase agreements. I'm going the, to the load responses, uh, like this, the technology you can set up to, to be responsive as does to, it make stupid question. If like yeah. the, the floor, the, the, the Texas energy grid fails, it, it, I'm literally going to get kicked off of podcasting for asking the dumbest question ever. It's so stupid, but there's no like mega fiber optic cable that can like someone can run from like Louisiana over to Texas. Like just plug it in. Like it's not possible. Stupid Look, question. I, I don't I know. Mean, we we got to get our Texas power friends uh, on the ground, but oh, so um, it's their choice. My understanding is that no, it's it's this is you know it's 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 expensive to move power around, and you also lose a lot of power. So I think as much as possible, you want to be close to where it's being generated. Got it. Power latency and yeah, yeah the, you, the 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 degradation of the of of the power definitely. As soon as you try to store it or move it, it starts the quality starts going starts down. going down. Yeah, it, that's such exactly. a big thing. Um, I want to move on to another question about proof of work versus proof of stake. You're obviously 
energy ties into it so much because you know you take the basic most basic concept of physics that energy cannot be created or destroyed only transferred and the price of bitcoin and we talked about how the the difficulty and the hash rate almost very 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 closely follows we don't know if it correlates its correlation or causation but it follows the price chart so if we're looking at that we can say okay you have direct energy transfer from other sources whether it be renewable or shitty sources or whatever into this bitcoin thing it's beautiful like it fully makes sense but proof of stake it doesn't really make sense to me and i've been in this industry for a very long time okay it does make sense to me but i want to hear i want to hear your take and your side on it look i mean you know well, the first time you hear about proof of stake you're like oh oh that's interesting like you can get all the benefits of proof of work without using any of the energy. But then the more you look into it, and I, I just did an interview with um, Henry Kwan from Epic, who's one of our partners, they're building machines for us. And he was he was pretty eloquent on his take on proof of stake and, and he, he hates proof of stake. But Because the, the more you look into it, you're more like, well, what is this anchored in? It's kind of anchored in air. It's kind of anchored in, you know, these huge stakes, obviously, uh, of, you know, whales that are sitting in certain places well, that's not very decentralized. That sounds like a bunch of you know dudes who are, um, who are yeah. just hanging on to their their coin and and making interest off of it. Sounds like a bank, actually. So, uh, look, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that there's innovation happening around other consensus mechanisms and conversations about proof of stake and proof of space and you know other ideas. Yeah, I invest in let, some of them too. They're cool. Let, let's have those conversations. I'm not yeah. a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not saying, you know, Bitcoin at, at any cost or, or Bitcoin above everything else. There's, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. There's other folks out there joining things. Great. And we've invested in, you know, Argo as a company has invested in DeFi. We believe that there's a role for digital infrastructure. But it's clear that over the last 10 years, the physical infrastructure that has secured the Bitcoin network, the proof of work system, is the most secure, is the most rooted in, as you said, energy rooted. And what is energy rooted? Energy is rooted in place. It's rooted in, uh, you know, capital because you need to spend money to build out that infrastructure, uh, whether it's machines or it's, you know, power infrastructure. It's rooted in political capital because you get places like Texas or Quebec or, you know, Bay Como in Northern Quebec where we're, where we're working mining uh, with one of our facilities where the mayor says, this is great. It's an opportunity for us to get revenue and to use power that would otherwise go to waste. Um, so it's, it's much more anchored in the real world. And um, I think for, you know, for Bitcoin, it's made it so it's made it very resilient and it's, it's shown that it's, uh, you know, there's never been a 51% attack. I mean, Bitcoin has been rock solid through its entire lifespan. Um, and I think a, a huge part of that is, it's built on this proof of work consensus mechanism. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing, and and the answer is essentially, it works because it works, and we have the last ten years to prove it. And then you have existential crises that we've seen in the past that the market resolves itself, and because we've given the market a super efficient rails to resolve itself with. Things get resolved a lot quicker within, you know, crypto or Bitcoin ecosystem. Or sorry, with a proof of work ecosystem than it would with 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 any other traditional. And it's a beautiful thing. It's like now we're perfect example is 
you know, half the hash rate drops, it's going to be turned back on. You're going to see there's an economic incentive to turn it back on. And you have all that 10 year history to, to behind it. And then, you know, like a few years ago, it was like seven or eight years ago, one of the pools got almost like like crazy double digits of the whole total hash rate. But then that actually started a conversation into the development of like furthering with with pools not being able to have the vote when it comes to that. But at the same time, it keeps responsibility. And it sounds to me like you have not only like a financial responsibility to shareholders, but you almost have like a moral responsibility to the gods of Bitcoin or to the Bitcoin or to Bitcoin holders and everything. Like, is that one of your challenge? Is that probably your top? If, if you're to go on vacation, you know, in a month from now and you have to plan your vacation, what are you thinking about while you're on vacation, even though someone else is dealing with everything? Well, first of all, I, I haven't taken vacation in a year and a half. So <laughs> like, the idea yeah. of vacation sounds great. But um, I keep thinking, I keep thinking literally, Charlie, like, oh, yeah, well, next week or like next month, things will quiet down. And, and then I can like maybe, you know, take a couple of days off or and, and it hasn't happened. Um, and but I like the idea of it happening and I like the concept. But, it, OK, let's say I was going on a theoretical vacation. What would I worry about? Um, I would worry about uh, always for us. It's about it's about executing on what we've said we're going to do. So we're building this large facility in Texas. Um, it's, you know, a large scale immersion uh, facility. There's, so there's three components to it. There's obviously the, the site, the superstructure, there's the immersion, you know, technology and design and systems that we need to put in. And then there's all of the power infrastructure that we, you know, we're building our own substation. We're connecting into a existing, uh, utility yeah. substation. So, th so that's what I worry about. I worry about execution. How do we make sure that we execute on time, you know, on budget? Um, and achieve what we said we're going to achieve. And so far, we've we've been very good on it on the execution side. So I don't I don't you know stay up like all night thinking about it. But that's yeah. what I would worry about in terms of what you're referring to, which is this tension, which certainly is, exists between for Bitcoin for Pubco Bitcoin miners between being a public company and answering to shareholders and having you know shareholders who believe in the vision of the company and who you know ask reasonable questions about where we're going and what we've done, all of that, but like any shareholders. And our, our company shareholders are awesome, by the way. They're super engaged. We're primarily retail. It's a very grassroots kind of, you know, group of shareholders. And and I, I love that. Um, and then the Bitcoin community. And the, that's the other side, right? And yeah. in many cases, these are overlapping. Like it's not necessarily, you know, binary. There are people who are both members of the Bitcoin community and who are investors in, you know, companies like Argo. But obviously, the Bitcoin community is about decentralization. Is about you know supporting the prince, the core principles of Bitcoin, um, and 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 our and our you know a little bit like the internet community you know was twenty years ago, like skeptical of the corporatization of Bitcoin, uh, and rightfully so, right? Like the co-opti, the co-opting, co-opting. I was going to say the co. But here's the difference. Yeah. But here, and we never we never knew this was going to be. Uh, it's such a great way to end off, to bring it back to the beginning of what you were saying. You could only become a samurai by going and training with another samurai for a certain amount of time. You can only become a mining executive CEO if you really understand how things work on the ground and be trained by other miners. And the other miners that are training, there's almost like a school of thought probably that's like you guys put down on your, you know, you have someone comes in and they're, 
and they're working for the company and they want to learn from the ground up how everything works, there's a certain ethos, like a certain like why we're here, why Bitcoin is amazing, why proof of work that like, you know, the book of Satoshi that you guys are learning and you're following. So like, yeah, the corporatization may be something that we were scared about, but we need corp Bitcoin needs its corporate executive you know, warriors to go out there. And this is the perfect way, especially in an industry that needs to be learned from within. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And and I think what's cool about our company is that we are like, we're Bitcoiners, we're crypto people. And, Love it. you know, there are other pubcos that have come from more of like the financial side or the data center side and then come into mining. And we've come, like you talk to Perry, you know, he's been mining for 10 years in his basement, Sebastian, our, our VP, like our core team. And we've made a little documentary on, on our YouTube page. You should check, oh, it, yeah, out. check it out. It's like, there's like five or six episodes. It tells this the history of Argo. Um, and it's very watchable. It, it, they, they did a great job on it. And it, it, what I like about it is that it, it's, we are like, it shows our authentic connection to, you know, Bitcoin and, and crypto and, that's that's our roots. That's where we're from. And yes, we're public co, but we really try to like, like you said, you know, marry these two worlds and and take uh, all of our you know learnings in the grassroots and and bring them to the core. Like we're a very non corporate. I love it. You know, entity. I love it. Thank you for for everything that you've been doing. I'm gonna go check it out. Peter Wall, CEO of Argo Blockchain. Uh, we'll have everything in the notes of the show. But thank you so much for taking the time. I, I hope, I wish I could, I, I feel bad now that we did the show. I could have given you like a 40 minute vacation. But <laughs> No, it's all good. <laughs> it's good. I loved it. it thank l- you love so being much. on. Thanks, Charlie. I'll see you later. <laughs>